with. It's not something that I, I've heard a lot of preachers preach on. But man, what an amazing portion of Scripture. It all is amazing, right? But, but this in particular, I, I believe, ought to thrill your heart if you're a believer and give you just a renewed hope in what day is coming for us who have trusted Christ and what day can come for you if you will trust Christ. So I'm going to ask if you're able, would you stand with me one last time? We're just going to read a few verses from Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. Hear what the Lord has to say. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. So good to see my friend and brother in Christ, Jamie, and his family back here. Brother Jamie, would you open us up in prayer for the service? Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, help us. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Father, have your way. Yes, Jesus. Amen, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, Mother's Day and even on holidays sometimes, there's kind of an expectation that this should be a happy day. And I, and I hope and pray that for all of you here today, it is a happy day. But like I said at the beginning, I know that holidays aren't always happy. I know Mother's Day is not always easy. Father's Day, even days like Christmas. Now, holidays sometimes bring a sadness with them. Uh, maybe for events that have transpired in your life, it's just a difficult time. Uh, and so... I had this thought this week as I was preparing this message. You know, life deals us blows sometimes. Life can be really hard at times, for even for the believer. We're not immune from tragedy. We're not immune from trials. We face those things. We face them with a different kind of hope. We face them with a supernatural strength. But we're sure not immune to those things. And sometimes the pain can be overwhelming for us too. It can be very, very difficult. And even in some senses, traumatic for us. And so I wanted to try to offer a message today through the Word of God that would perhaps replace those thoughts of fear and anxiety, trouble and discouragement that maybe all of us on some level face or are facing today. I want to talk about the day that is coming for those of us that are in Christ and the promises that we have through the Word of God so that when life here gets tough, we can remember that this is the worst it's going to be for us. And a better day is coming. A better day is coming for the people of God. I want you to look with me again at our text, and I want to try to share a few things that the Lord laid on my heart this morning. 
for this message. Isaiah begins, as he's speaking for the Lord here, prophetically, by saying that on this mountain... Now, if we were to go through the book of Isaiah and kind of break it down, you see that he uses that language often. In chapter 2, he tells us specifically that the mountain is Mount Zion. So he's speaking of the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Some argue that this is during the millennial. Others say, and I kind of agree, that it's just at the, at the, the end of time, into eternity, the second coming of Christ. That this is taking place on the new heavens and the new earth. But regardless of the timing exactly, the promises are true no matter what. And I want you to see some of these things that God has promised for His people. He says, on this mountain of the Lord... He will make for all peoples. You see that? Don't pass that by. For all peoples a rich feast. The first thing that I want you to hear from me, the title of my message is, Aren't You Glad? And I'm going to say that quite often in this message. And the first thing I want to say is, Aren't you glad this morning that there is a place prepared at the table for you? That God has spread a table, a bountiful harvest for His people. And He will not forget one of you. Oftentimes on earth, people can be overlooked. They can be forgotten. Loneliness is a huge problem for many. Especially if you're a widow. Especially if your kids have grown up and moved on. It can be really difficult. Days can be long and lonely. But I want you to know that God will never forget you. He'll never forsake you. He has your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And when that table is spread, there will be a seat for you. And that is such a blessing to know that God does not forget us. That He does not overlook us. That He does not favor one person over another. In Christ, we are all one. That is the love of God shed abroad on His people. There's a story in the Old Testament, one of my very favorite stories, that is such a great example to me of how God can love people that are unlovable. That God can show grace to people that don't deserve it. There's nobody in this room that deserves the love and grace of God. And yet He freely gives it because God is love and God is merciful. And God desires to forgive sinners. He said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. The whole point of Jesus coming is because you couldn't make it to heaven on your own. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. We're not worthy enough. But Jesus is. And He made a way for us. Listen to this story from 2 Samuel. It's about a guy named Mephibosheth. You think your name is hard to spell? Try spelling that one. Mephibosheth was the son of a guy named Jonathan. David and Jonathan were best friends. They had a close relationship. Even though Jonathan's father Saul desired to kill David, Jonathan helped him. He kept him safe. And ultimately, David and Jonathan die in battle. They die in battle. And so we kind of pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 4. I'm just going to read to you a little bit of this. 2 Samuel 4 verse 4. It says, Jonathan... The son of Saul had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, that being that they had been killed in battle, or actually had fallen on their swords and killed themselves. And his nurse took him and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So here is the story of Jonathan's son and how he becomes injured 
in life. He's crippled. He can't walk. And so, as this story progresses, I'll jump ahead to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let me read to you what David does for Mephibosheth. And this is a beautiful picture of what Christ does for us who are lame, we are crippled, sin has separated us from God, we have no access to the Father, and yet God through Christ shows us mercy, just like David does for Mephibosheth. It says in 2 Samuel 9, verse 7, David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. Listen to what he says to him. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat... At my table always. And then in verse 11, Then Ziba, who's the king's servant, Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Man, what a picture. Here is this lame child, crippled since five years old, His dad has been killed. His grandfather was an enemy of David. And yet David says, I'm going to restore to you everything that was your father's. I'm going to give it to you freely. There's going to be a place at my table for you always. And I'm going to treat you like you were one of my kids. Imagine that. And God does that for us. We are His children. We are His sons by faith in Christ. What an amazing truth that we have an opportunity to worship God as His children. This isn't something that happens just because we are forced to love Him. He loves us and we enter into that relationship with Him. And I want you to notice something else in our text here in verse 6. Not only are all peoples invited, but this is a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and aged wine well-refined. What he's saying there, guys, is this. These are luxuries. These are things that aren't for the common person. These are things that kings would dine on. It's not like today where we get an opportunity to just go to the fridge and order anything we want and get anything we want. These were things set aside for peculiar people, for specific people. And God invites us to dine at a heavenly banquet where everything is a luxury provided by Him. What a beautiful truth. Matter of fact, I believe that this is a feast that you would see when kings would come back from victory. They would hold a feast, a celebration, if you will. We read a lot about the marriage supper of the Lamb and these feasts of victory and overcoming that we will have. But God is going to set a table for His people where we can rejoice that we have overcome through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have victory. We sing that song, we have victory in Jesus. Aren't you glad today? that we have victory in Jesus, that we have overcome, not by our strength, but by His. And we can celebrate that as we sit around this table and dine with God who is our Father in heaven. What a day that will be, church. Not only that, but look what he says in verse 7. He says, on this mountain, I'm going to swallow it up. I'm going to swallow up. The King James says that He is going to destroy on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. The idea of that verse literally is He's going to devour it down. 
Now, the question can be asked, well, what on earth is he talking about in verse 7? What is this covering that is cast over all peoples in this veil that is spread over all nations? The Bible describes every person and every nation as having a universal problem. There is one problem that every human being has in common. And that is this, that the wages of sin is death. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is a problem that affects every race, creed, social, economic status. It does not matter. Today, if you are lost, the biggest problem that you have is not the stock market. It's not what to have for lunch after service. The biggest problem you have is that your sin has condemned you and it separates you from a holy God. And there's nothing that you can do to fix that. There's nothing that I can do to fix that for you. There's nothing that mom can do to fix that for you or dad. It's a problem that you must deal with and you can only deal with it through Jesus Christ. He alone is able to fix the problem. So what is the covering? What is he talking about? Well, if all have sinned and sin is a universal problem, then it had to have been dealt with by someone. And Jesus did deal with it. A few weeks past, we just had Resurrection Sunday service. And we rejoiced and celebrated the fact that Christ is alive. That Jesus is alive. But when we read the story of the resurrection, look what it says in John chapter 20. Verses 5-7, through seven, when the disciples, uh, Peter and John, ran to the tomb and they peeked inside, stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. That was John. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up. And by itself, my friends, not only was the tomb empty, the grave clothes were empty. Jesus defeated death for His people. The empty tomb proves it. The empty grave clothes prove it. And this verse is saying that there is coming a day, my friends, when death will never be a problem again. That we are coming toward a time when death will be no more. On this li- in this life, we understand it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. But there's coming a time when all things will have been judged, all wrongs will be made right, and we will forever live eternally with Christ without the fear of death anymore. Its victory has been declared in Christ. That's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 15.55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Aren't you glad today, Christian, that death no longer has a hold on you? That you will die physically, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you will receive a glorified body that will live forever, and death will be wiped away from us. What a day that will be. And then he goes on in verse 8, and it gets even better. He says that, again, he will swallow up death, but he also says this, the Lord God will wipe away tears. From all faces. We read about that in the book of Revelation as well. That He's going to wipe away tears from all faces. There's been a lot to weep about the last few years. But if we're honest, there's always a lot to weep about in life. The murder of 60 plus million babies ought to cause us to weep. The wickedness of our leaders ought to cause us to weep. The wickedness that we see 
all around us ought to cause us to weep. And if we're honest, the sin that still indwells us ought to cause us to weep. When we think about how we still bring reproach on Christ when we don't live for Him the way we ought to. But there's coming a day when God will wipe away from every single person that He knows the tears from their face. In Psalm 126 verse 5, it says that those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Friend, you may have faced some difficult times in life, and there may be difficult times up ahead, but there's coming a day where those tears will be replaced with joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. A day that is coming. Jesus said in John 16.33 these words. He said, I've said these things to you that you in me may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome, or literally I've conquered the world. But here's the thing, and I've felt it myself, you have felt it before. When life gets hard, we ask questions. And sometimes we have more questions than answers, don't we? We understand that Jesus said there'll be tribulation. We understand that He's in control. We understand that He is going to fix all things. But that doesn't always remove our questions, does it? And a lot of times we ask things like, why is my life so hard? Like, why does life have to be so difficult for me? It seems as though I go from bad to worse. seems like things never get better. When they get better, it's replaced by three bad things right on the heels of those things. Why do I face these struggles? Why do I have these heartaches? You're not alone when you ask those questions. Many believers over the years have asked those things. And if we're honest, when we read the Word of God, we see people in the Bible asking those things. David himself asked those questions. Let me read to you from Psalm 56. And I'm reading this verse from the New American Standard Version just because I think it brings it out really clear. When you ask those questions and you think about that, why is my life so hard? Why am I struggling? I hope these verses comfort you. David was in that same boat. And he he came to this conclusion. Speaking of God, he says, "You You have taken account of my miseries. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back on the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. God is for me. He didn't say, God, fix all my problems. God, give me blessings rather than all this stuff. I'm sure he asked those things at times. But he said, I do know this. There's not one thing that I'm facing or will face that you're not aware of. Every tear that I've cried, you've kept. You've held. You've taken notice. If you've ever just sat in your car and wept alone, if you've ever just locked yourself in the bathroom and cried, if you've ever just had a breakdown, God knows. God cares. God is for you. As His child, God is for you. God is not sending these things to torment you. God is not doing these things to watch you squirm. 
We live in a fallen world. We live in a place where sin happens, consequences of those things happen, and nobody is immune from it. But God cares. He cares for you. Aren't you glad this morning that God remembers us? Aren't you glad that He cares? Aren't you glad that He's going to right the wrongs? We long for that. We see so much hurt and wickedness and we say, God, please, how much longer? And nobody really knows the answer to that, but I can't imagine it'll be that much longer. I can't imagine that God will continue to allow the evil and wickedness in this country and on this world without putting an end to it in judgment soon. And God will right all those wrongs. He will justify Himself. And He will be just in His dealings with people. But I'm thankful that the place that we're going is going to be a place that's free of tears. That we won't have need to weep anymore. That all our sorrows will be gone. Death has been defeated. Sin is no more. Agony and pain and heartache will be words that we won't know. And I'm so glad that God will wipe away our tears on that day. Not only that, He goes on and says the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. You may not know this, but I'm sure that most of you do. If you follow Jesus, you are going to be scorned. And you are going to be hated. You're going to be disliked. And I wish that for some some believers they would just be okay with that. Because I think for too long, a lot of Christians want to please man and God. They want to be loved by God and loved by the world. They don't want to have any enemies. They don't want to have anybody not like them. Good luck. It's not going to happen. If you are going to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, there are going to be people that don't like you. I'm going to double down on it. There's going to be people in church that don't like you. There is. God can have His hand all over you and bless you in ways that only can be attributed to Him. And there's going to be church folks that are mad that God is blessing you. There's going to be church... Listen, I've seen it happen. I've seen churches where folks are getting saved, where the church is on fire... And I've heard other churches and even other preachers come back and say, well, it's obvious that they're using worldly means because they wouldn't be seeing all those folks saved or they ain't really saved. That's all just show. It's all just fake. Listen, it's a scary thing for you to stand in judgment and say who is and who isn't, who's in and who's out. You know? The last time I checked, that's the Holy Spirit's job. But the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If I stand up here and preach the gospel or you stand up there and preach the gospel to somebody and they repent of their sins and they trust Christ, all I can do is take them at their word. Their fruit will bear out in time if they're saved or if they're lost. But I can't stand up there and say, well, here's a little test that you take and if you pass, then I'll know for sure you're saved. But I believe that if the gospel is preached and the Spirit of God moves, that any sinner can be saved. And if you're preaching that gospel, people will get upset. It'll ruffle feathers. Religious folks and lost folks. But don't let that stop you. Don't let it stop you. We should never be ashamed of Jesus or who we are. I probably, I don't know how many people each week just stop following me or unfriend me because I use my Facebook so much for just posting stuff about Jesus. I ain't going to stop 
just keep on clicking the unfriend button. That's okay. But I'm going to keep on clicking post and telling people about Jesus. Because that's the only reason, to be honest with you. I mean, I like reading your guys' posts and interacting, but I'd rather do that with you face-to-face. So the only reason I stay on that stupid thing is to try to share Jesus with people. It's an opportunity to reach people that I probably will never get to come through the doors of this church, but they might read something I post and God might use it. And so that's the only reason I do it. But I'm not going to stop. And I know, and I don't intentionally try to be controversial, but if you post enough stuff about Jesus, there's going to be things that people disagree with. And I've learned over the years, and I hope you do too, don't get in an argument on Facebook. You're not going to change somebody's theology on Facebook. You're not going to argue them into heaven. Just let it go. Just let it go. They, 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 they posted their rant and their comment. Just move on from it, right? But here's the thing. We can't be ashamed of Jesus. Romans 10, 11 says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. You may be shamed here on earth, but there's coming a day when you stand before Him, you will not be put to shame because of your faith and your witness for Christ. You will be rewarded for that. I hope you're laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. I hope you are caring more about what's to come than collecting stuff here on earth that's going to burn up. We are going to bear reproach on this earth. But you have a great reward coming. And I hope you look forward to that. I'm glad and I hope that you're glad today that God is going to vindicate His people. That every fight that you have taken up in boldness and courage for the Lord Jesus Christ will be vindicated. Every stand that you took for something godly was worth it. It's worth it, church. And aren't you glad that even though you'll suffer here, you're going to reign with Him there? I'm glad of that today. And then we come to verse 9 and we'll wrap up with this verse. But man, this ought to get you excited. It says right off the bat on that day, it's going to be said, Behold, this is our God. Behold, this is our God. I just want to state the obvious. Aren't you glad today that He is your God? That He is your God. And aren't you glad that when you stand before Him one day that you're going to be robed in white and forgiven completely because of what Jesus did for you? The Bible talks about the fact that there are many that are going to say and still do say, I've heard about this Jesus coming back all my life. And you keep saying that and this and that, but I don't see anything happening. 2 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. They've always been here, but it's going to get worse in the last days, and it is. Last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and here's what they'll say. Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Doesn't the world say that? You all keep preaching about this rapture and this judgment, but I don't see anything any different. Well, one day it will. One day it will. You just presume on grace that day after day, nothing is going to change and that God is going to continue to be merciful to you. But one day, the clock will strike midnight. And he is going to say, okay, it's time. And in this verse, he says, behold, it is our God. We have waited for him. We have waited. The church is waiting. We are, his people are waiting. 
we fix our eyes towards heaven and we wait. That doesn't mean that we don't work while we're waiting, but we are waiting and longing for the Lord to come back. And one day He will. And when He does, we will say, Behold our God. My question to you is today, can you say that? When He comes, can you say, Behold my God. Or will you cry out with the world for the rocks to fall upon you because the day of judgment is here and you're not ready for it? You have got to be ready. You have got to be prepared. Like we read a few weeks ago with the, the, the ten virgins, you've got to have oil in your lamp and your wicks trimmed because if you're not ready, you will be left behind. You will be left behind and face the judgment of God on your life. And you can escape that but you escape that today. You don't wait for the time to arrive and then say, oh, now what do I do? God, help me now. It may be too late at that point. Today is your opportunity so that you can say, behold, our God. This is what the people of God were waiting for. They were longing for that salvation to become sight. We walk by faith, not by sight, but one day our faith will become sight. There won't be a need for faith in heaven because our faith will become reality. We long today to see Jesus and one day we will. We believe by faith that there is a kingdom that we will be a part of, but one day we will live in that kingdom in reality. But today we live by faith. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Many people in the Bible waited. And maybe you say, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for answers and I don't get my answers and when will they come? Israel waited for centuries to be delivered from Egypt. The Jews waited and waited for the Messiah to come and to this day many still reject Him as the Messiah. Job waited in all of his pain and agony with his children being killed and his livestock being destroyed and he waited and waited for God to vindicate him while his three friends belittled him and, and fired accusations at him. And yet Job waited. Hannah waited for a child. She cried out to God for a child and she had to wait and wait for Samuel to be born. Waiting is a part of life. Waiting is a part of walking with the Lord, my friends. There's no way around it. I wish I could tell you differently. But you have to wait on God's time. You have to wait when God says, Now is the time for this to happen. You can trust Him. He knows better than you. He knows what's best. But there's agony in that waiting. It's hard to wait. I've not met anybody, that's, especially me, that's good at waiting. We read in our Sunday school lesson this morning these very verses that I have jotted down here in my notes this morning. The disciples were concerned when Jesus said He was going away. And they didn't understand where He was going. And Jesus gave them a promise. But that promise wasn't just to them. That promise is for us too. He said to them, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then He says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself. That where I am... There you may also be. Aren't you glad that Jesus made a promise to His people that He is going to come back for them? And if they leave, they'll be with Him. But either way, we will be with the Lord. But meanwhile, we wait. 
We wait expectantly. We wait in, hopefully in faith. But we wait. And that's hard sometimes. Especially when you want an answer so bad. Especially when you want to see the answer come now. I thought about waiting a lot this week with this message. If you've ever been really sick to the point where you have to go to the ER or the urgent care, to me, I've been there a few times in my life, and to me, the worst part of that is the waiting room. The waiting room is the worst because you get checked in and then you just sit in all your pain. There's other people around you and they're in the same boat and you're thinking, man, I hope they call me before that guy. I, and then you start thinking, well, I probably, you know, they're, they're just having a heart attack, so they're not that bad. I'm, you know, and it, you have all these weird thoughts going on and you want so bad to just get in that examination room. Because you think, if I can just get through that door and get back in that room, I can finally get some medicine. I can finally get a blanket because I'm freezing. I can maybe get a drink. Whatever. You want so bad to just go through that door. The waiting room is terrible. And sometimes in life, the waiting is the worst. But listen, on the other side of that door, they're getting things ready for you. They're getting the medicines ready. They're getting the doctors prepared. Jesus is preparing something. He said He was. I go to prepare a place for you. And while we wait, we have work to do. There's work to be done here on earth. But one of these days, we're going to burst through those doors, so to speak. Death is just a door now. It's just a door for us. And we will swing through those doors into eternity. And on the other side of those doors is two options. Heaven or hell. Saved or lost. There's no middle road, guys. There's no purgatory. There's no reincarnation. You get one chance at life. It's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. You will make heaven only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you will spend eternity in hell if you reject Him. And that's the truth of the Word of God. That is the truth of the Word of God. There's a book that was written by a guy named Ben Patterson. It's called Waiting When God Seems Silent. And Ben Patterson says this, It isn't easy to wait. It demands persistence. When common sense says give up, it says believe. When there is no present evidence to back it up, faith is forged in delay. Character is forged in delay. The forge is the gap between the promise and the fulfillment. As gold is purified and shaped in the white hot heat of a forge, so we in our faith are purified and shaped in waiting. Friends, I know that you are waiting. I am waiting. But just like it says in our verse today, we have waited that He might save us. Our salvation will be complete. It's not saying that you've got to wait to be saved. You are saved. But the fulfillment of that salvation will be when you are glorified with Him in heaven. That is the period, if you will, on our salvation. Where we will experience it to the fullest. Where we will be with Him. And look at how he ends verse 9. And this is what I hope we can say today. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. In His salvation. The only reason we have salvation is because He provided the salvation. And we should rejoice in that today. Aren't you glad that He made a way when there was no way? Aren't you glad to know that despite the problem that we face being so big that I couldn't fix it, you couldn't fix it, government couldn't fix it, but God could fix it. 
And He did. He made a way. And I'm glad today that heaven is my home. Not because I've earned it, but because He bought me so that I could have a place there. When that table is spread, I have a seat. And so do you if you've trusted Christ. And I don't know why Christians walk around all the time looking so defeated and so discouraged when we have so much to be thankful for. I'm not saying, again, you've heard me say it all message. Life is tough. There are difficulties we face. But if we get our eyes off the world just a little bit and think about what's coming for us and think about what Jesus has done for us and think about the promises He's given that cannot fail, I would hope that we would have a little bit of spring in our step, a little bit of joy in our face, a new song on our lips, and be excited about what God has done for us. We ought to be the happiest people on earth because this world isn't our home. While everything is falling apart around us, we know who's in control. We know the one that sits on the throne. We do. We know Him. And He knows us. And that ought to give us joy. It ought to help us to look beyond our present problems to our future blessings. God is so good to us. God has been so marvelously merciful to us. Man, as many times as we sin and fail Him, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And we, can't, we talked about it in Sunday school. We can't understand how God would keep treating us so good when we treat Him so bad. When we fail Him daily. When we sin against Him daily. And yet He continues for Christ's sake to love us and to hold on to us. Man, that ought to make you happy today. Aren't you glad? That you know the Savior. It's only possible because of Jesus. I'm glad today that He came. Glad today that He willingly gave His life. I'm glad today that He rose three days later. I'm glad today He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And boy, am I glad He's coming back. But most of all, I'm glad that I'm ready for all that. There was a day 20-some years ago now where He dealt with me and my sins. And I realized at that moment that I was lost. And if I died, hell was my home. And he said, you don't have to go there. And I said, well, what do I do? And he said, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. And he said, pray from your heart that you're lost, that you need Jesus. I'm just paraphrasing. We didn't have this literal conversation. And I did that. 22 years old, didn't know anything about the Bible, didn't know anything about God, knew nothing, hardly nothing about any of that stuff. But I knew I was lost. And I knew that there was a Savior. And I knew that He was my only hope. And I ran to Him as fast as I could. And I threw myself at His feet and begged for mercy. My prayer was probably horrible. <laughs> I didn't have the fancy words to say, didn't know what I was saying. But listen. It's not in the power of your words. It's not in your theological education. It's just a beggar coming before an infinitely powerful God and saying, I need what you offer. Can I have that? And in His grace, He said, yes, you can. And He saved me that day. And the reason I can stand here today and say I know that He saved me is because I've seen Him at work in my life. Over these years, He's been faithful when I haven't been. He's never let me down. He's always guided me. He's always kept me. 
I'm not standing up here today and say, I know I'm saved because, buddy, I got this all figured out and I know a lot about the Bible and I live it out every day. And just, I don't. But I can tell you I know who I've believed in because I've seen His hand on my life over and over again. I've seen Him be faithful to the promises that He's given. And He'll do that for you. That's not just something that He does for certain people, for preachers and deacons. He does that for His people. He's our God. And He cares for His people. The question today as I invite the praise team to come is, do you know Him? Do you know Him today? You can't be glad in a Savior that you don't know. You can't be glad about benefits that aren't yours. But if you get the real thing, if you come to Christ today, you will have a whole new outlook on life. And better than that, you'll have a whole new outlook on eternity. And when the next time I ask, aren't you glad, you'll be able to say, more than you know, Pastor. More than you know. Father, we thank You today that You love us and You have made a way for us. Lord, and so I pray that if nothing else today, Lord, we leave here with a renewed hope and a renewed heart, Lord. Thankful today that You have overcome the world for us and no matter what we're facing, no matter how difficult today is or maybe tomorrow will be, You are greater than our problems. And the promises that we have in Christ, the blessings that we have in Jesus, far outweigh the difficulties. And Lord, for the one here today that's lost, the one watching online that's lost, I pray that in this moment they would just understand that they need Jesus and all they have to do is call out to Him from a broken and repentant heart and He will do the rest. Pray that You'll move now in this invitation and we give You the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and as we